Well, we are in the last uh, Sunday of our Alpha series. You don't have to have a British accent in order to get into Alpha, although I was thinking we should have Jan Sterling up here all the time to kind of introduce Alpha for us, right? Um, but it's, uh, it's been a really, really great uh, series to be walking through from the beginning of September till now to look at these big questions that we've been reflecting on uh, throughout this series and getting at some fundamental things again about what we understand of who Jesus is, who is the Holy Spirit, uh, how can we do more with the rest of our lives, and today we're going to end with this focus on what about the church? And I think it's really appropriate and it's a really good way to end this series uh, of thinking of these questions in a corporate setting now. And so often we think of our our faith in a very individual kind of way, and so now we want to end off thinking about our faith in the context of the church and how we understand it corporately. When you hear that term, church, and that was just the questions that was being asked of these people, what, what is it that comes to mind when you think about the church? And if you go on and talk to people on the street, or you even talk to people that are sitting beside you, and you were to ask that question, what about the church? You would have many responses. You'd have many different images, many different impressions that, that come up. And today what we're going to do is we're going to just walk through a number of scripture texts and look at some of the pictures of the church, some of the phrases and, and words that describe the church that we th- see throughout uh, scripture. For many people, if you ask that question, they might say things, well, church is boring, irrelevant. You heard some of those comments on the video there. It's maybe stuffy, it's, it's stiff, it's not really my thing. Not really sure what to think about it. We, we've all got different history of the church. We've all got, even whether you grew up going to church or not, we all have images and impressions and experiences, or at least maybe even stereotypes of the church that we at least have viewed from a distance or maybe experienced more personally. Uh, I've shared at different times, you know, my experience that many of you know about growing up in a small town in Carrot River, a, a church that was relatively small in a rural setting. A uh, very different kind of church than what we experience here in many ways. Lots of things are similar, but just smaller, different. It was very conservative. It was a church that had, you know, as I've said before, men on one side, women on the, unsi- on the other side, and the mixed up people in the middle section. And, and I remember my mom one time telling this story of, you know, on the men's side where I think it was my dad and one of us ends boys who will remain unnamed who was sitting with my dad. And mom was uh, at a distance and watching what was happening and couldn't do anything to change it. But there was this one man who often fell asleep in church. Now, I know nobody does that here. But this guy would often fall asleep in church, and he had this really big lock of hair. And so when he would fall asleep in church, you know, his head would kind of go down, and then this hair would just kind of hang there. And my mom watched as one of her sons was standing on a pew, you know, facing backwards, and this man was like right there in front of him, and it, just like, it was just way too tempting to not just grab that hair and give it a good yank. He woke up. And so those are some of my memories of church. You have those, right? Like you have different impressions, experiences, things that have happened. Uh, you know, but I also remember that, that that place was a context of discipleship for me, of, of seeds of, of nurture. Um, we also, Lisa and I and our family, we lived uh, in Calgary for a couple of years, and we were in a kind of a medium-sized church that was in a, an urban setting. We were in B.C., 
Uh, for uh, quite a number of years, we were in a church not of hundreds, but of thousands. A really big church that really the only place that we got to know people was in our small group. I remember we, we left for a year. I was doing some study work, and we were gone for a whole year, and it was like nobody even noticed that we were gone. And it was okay. I mean, we didn't expect that. I mean, in a big church, that's just not going to happen in that way. Our small group noticed that we were gone because we were the leaders. Um, so that was good. Um, but there's all kinds of churches, right? I mean, there's house churches, there's cowboy churches, there's underground churches, there's churches of tens and churches of thousands. Churches who are in rented spaces, thatched huts, massive buildings, meeting in living rooms, all kinds of different expressions. And as I said, some people, they can't imagine why you would go to church, which also implies Another understanding that we have of church, and we, again, have talked about this before, that, that church is something that you go to, that it's a building. Now, in part, a building is, can be part of it, and it's a place that we meet, but we know that the church is not the building. In fact, for the first 300 years of the church, after the time of Christ, there, was, there were no buildings that the church ever met in. I mean, it was just in people's homes and in different gatherings and so on. So there were no buildings. It wasn't that. The church is the ecclesia, the assembly, the gathered ones, the body of believers. So it is about when we gather. That is an important part of it, but that's not the whole deal. And so we are the church when we gather. It's more than the building, even though we gather in a building. You might think of the church even as this experience right here, like what we're doing right now, sitting in a comfortable pews, facing forward, listening to somebody with a microphone, singing some songs. I mean, yeah, is this church? Well, it's part of it, but it's not the whole deal. That's why even a number of years ago when we were thinking about how do we express the church of what Forest Grove Community Church is, is, is we had these four pictures or these four images that are overlapping images that you can see here. And I think I've got a diagram of it. Of these four images that, that give us a picture of the church, that there are these different components. So what we do here when we gather is one thing, and it's an important thing, our corporate worship gathering, but it's not the whole thing. That it's also about this, this ministry of, of missions and all that that means. It's about when we gather in small groups, that there's another context of, of the church. Family ministries. And all that that entails, both the age-specific kind of demographic things that we do as a church, but also what happens in the home. And so these, you might think of them as, as different contexts of discipleship. The very central purpose of the church, why the church exists, is for this discipleship. And these we describe as, as contexts of discipleship, where discipleship happens. So this is part of it as we gather, but it's not the whole deal. And so we have to remind ourselves of that. Because, you see, we are the church gathered, and gathering matters, but we're also the church scattered. We're also the church that, that scatters throughout the week and engages in the life of people, engages in community, engages in different contexts that God has placed you and given you opportunity to be involved and to be the hands and feet of Christ in different ways. And this week, as I was just thinking about this, I was thinking, yeah, you know, so if somebody came to me on a, on a weekday and said, so, hey, like, show me your church. And I would go, well, I don't know what to show you. I could show you an empty sanctuary, but that's not our church. Um, to show you the church, you'd have to go to where everybody is and how they're connected with different people. And that's the church 
scattered throughout the week. But it's still part of us. So I was thinking, you know, we as a church have been engaged in all kinds of things, even just in the last weeks. You know that we've been engaged in some of the, the tragedies and the counseling that have come out of the whole Lalash shootings and the, some of the, the events that have happened in some of these northern communities where there's been all kinds of tragedy. Now, you maybe haven't been there. I haven't been there, but Brett Adams has and others. Being the church in these places. You know, as a church, we've been bringing medical expertise to all kinds of regions around the world, even in recent weeks, whether it's the Lobacks in Africa or whether it's Marguerite McDonald on Mercy, Mercy Ships. Uh, we've been the, the church in, in places like Ottawa, where you know, Kelly Block serves as a, as a member of parliament. Or Joel Dick serving here on the university campus, uh, coaching the men's volleyball team. Or Henry Banman, who serves on a regular basis to seniors' lunch, uh, and just blesses and cares for people in that setting. These are expressions of the church of being in community. So somebody says, so show me your church. It's like, okay, I can't because there are are countless stories like this of you folks being the church throughout the week in all kinds of ways as the community not just gathered but also scattered. But you see, there's another side to this as well too. It's not just the the things that we celebrate and the good things, but it's also some of the the challenging things that make us the church as well. When one grieves, we, we all grieve. It affects us. When one is disappointed, we're, we all disappoint. Because, you see, we are the church. When people say that they were hurt by the church, the reality is that they were hurt by people. You were hurt by people. Which means we have to own that too, because we are the church. So we have to own the good and the bad together. So let's look at some scripture that gives us different pictures of the church and understandings of this faith community that we are called into, into being. See, the, the church is about community. It's about connection in many different ways. We long for connection. I mean, all of us long for connection in, in one way or another. And even the, the prevalence of self, social media that we see today is really an expression of a desire to connect to people. It's a form of connection. And And we are more connected than we've ever been before in the history of the world because of having those opportunities to connect in those formats. You can connect to people around the world and and, and you can watch your favorite preacher who's preaching from anywhere in the world and, and feel like there's some kind of connection there. But there's something different about when the body gathers and we see each other face to face because connection matters. It's also, I think, why sometimes... People are hurt by the church because we expose ourselves. We long for connection. We give of ourselves to people and to this body. And then when things disappoint or things are different than we expect, then it causes those kinds of pains. So again, in in Scripture, it talks about this fellowship, this koinonia. The New Testament speaks about that. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 This well-known text, it says, let's not give up meeting together because we need to meet together so that we can encourage one another. It says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The importance of gathering, that corporate worship gathering that we come together to encourage one another. 
My, my word to you would be don't ever leave this corporate gathering without encouraging somebody. Because you know what? Even if you come here, and I was just talking to somebody this morning who is serving in one of our ministries, who's going through a really hard time. It's a hard morning. But here they were serving others and blessing others. And you know what it says in scriptures? It says that, that he who blesses others or refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. So part of why we gather is even when we come hurting, we still have that opportunity to encourage other people. And in doing that, it actually encourages us. And so we need to be that kind of body together. Nicky Gumbel in the Alpha videos, he uses uh, some words for this connection part. And I want to just walk through a couple of the words that, that come out in, in his teaching there about how the church is about connection. He talks about being friends in John fifteen fifteen, It says that we are friends with Jesus, but also that we are friends with each other. As Jesus said in that text, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. So we are friends with Jesus, the living Savior, but we are also friends with each other. That's part of that connection that we have in the church. Another word is family. It's a word that is used oftentimes when we talk about the church. It's also there in Scripture in, in many different aspects, that, that there is a loving family, that there is love that is at the core of this family because of Jesus Christ and the love of God. In 1 John John says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. us. What an amazing truth, that the love of God is brought to full expression in us as the church, loving one another. It's an amazing truth. I've shared with you before my consistent weekly prayer lord help me to love the church this church these people and god has answered that prayer god has given me a love for you a love for this church that is real and genuine and i pray that that would be your experience as well too that there would be an increasing love for one another that we would pray for that that we would press into that because of the love of jesus that he has for us that we can actually love each other in a very significant way Also part of the family is in Galatians 3, verse 26 and and, and following, where it talks about how we are one in Christ. We are one in this family, in Christ. And Paul says, For you are all children of God through faith in, in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. He says there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. The walls have been taken down. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. There's also the language and the image in Scripture of the church being a home, a house that God is building. Again, this connection. If you think about the Old Testament and how God was present among his people and you see him walking and being with the people of Israel, you saw how God was there as they wandered in the wilderness, and he was there in the pillar of cloud by day and in the pillar of fire by night, it says, and how God was present in the tabernacle, this meeting place of God that moved with the people, that when the Spirit of God said it was time to move, they moved. And it was this portable tent 
And I think in many ways, it's just this beautiful picture of, of how the church is called to be responsive to the movement of God. And when God stayed, they stayed. And Moses would go and he would meet with these people and he would interact, or sorry, Moses would meet with God and he would interact with God and it was the presence of God in this tabernacle. And then we see coming further in scripture, we see the establishment and the building of the temple and how God met with his people in the temple. But then it changed, right? That day when Jesus was on the cross and the sky went dark and it says how the temple was torn in two and the separation between God and man was changed forever. And now it wasn't about coming to the priest to give sacrifice, but it was you can now enter into the presence of the living God yourself. There was this intimacy that was new. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he talks about that we are the temple of the living God now. We the church, we the people. That you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. And what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. In Ephesians chapter 2, it also talks about this living temple of God. It says, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So we are the temple of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? It's no longer that there's this physical temple in Jerusalem. It's that as the church gathers, as the body of believers gathers, that the Spirit of God is among you. The Spirit of God is here and that this is His temple. This is God's dwelling place. That's the picture of the church. The truth of the church. These are beautiful images that Scripture teaches us about how to understand the church. Another way that you might think about it is the church is our story of faith together. And one of the ways that we've talked about it here in the past is to think about it in these three stories of God's story, my story, and our story. I know Gil Clausen has spoken on this, and Youth for Christ uses this for their discipling teens to help teens understand their faith in the context of something bigger. And I think it's so helpful to think about it this way, that, that there is God's story, first of all, that you look and understand the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that this is the amazing story of God that we have to first of all understand as the primary story. And as we begin to understand God's story, it starts to make our story make sense. So then my story has a context. My story has a purpose. Your story has a purpose because it, it fits into God's bigger story and to understand it in that way. But then there's the third one, which is our story, which is the story of the church. It's that I, I don't just have a story on my own that is in isolation, that is separate from you. My story is connected to you. In fact, my story has been impacted by you and vice versa. And that's the beauty of the church. And a little bit later in the service, Allie Friesen is going to share some of her story. As she joins our church and membership and as she's been baptized previously and, and shares some of her story of testimony of what God is doing in her life and connecting it to God's story of here's the impact and difference that God makes in her life. And in doing so, it's also sharing how she's become part of our story. The story of the church. And I like to say, and I've said it many times here when we welcome people into membership, that every time we do, it changes us. We're different. The church 
that existed last week doesn't exist anymore. It's a whole new expression because we have somebody new. We have, we have new gifts, new people, new expressions of the living God in our midst. And so as the church changes and grows and, and people enter into this story together, it's a beautiful picture of God's story, my story, and our story. This is the church. Let me give you a few more images that we see in Scripture. The church is also a powerful mystery. It's a powerful mystery. I know some people like to figure everything out. Some people are wired that way. Engineers are wired that way. They like to break things apart, understand all the components, figure out how everything works, right? It's a great gift. And sometimes we can think of the same thing when it comes to the church. Okay, we want to figure it out. How do we understand this entity? How do we pull it apart into its separate components and explain it? Right? So somebody asks you, not just show me a church, but tell me about your church. And I've had people ask me that. I'm sure you've maybe had people ask you that. So tell me about your church. My question would be, what would you say? Let's see, I could, I could talk about the building that we meet in. I could talk about like the programs that we have. I could talk about you know, a couple of different sites that we have. I mean, you could break it down into different components. I could even talk about the people that are here and, and the different people and the diversity of people that are here, and those would all capture some of it. But there's so much more, just as that text that Spencer read at the beginning in Ephesians 3, that we'll look at in just a minute, that, that there's so much more to the church than just the sum of its parts. There's so much more than just sort of people, programs, and buildings, and budgets, and all those kinds of things. There's a mystery that is going on that is so different. Paul, in Ephesians, he compares the church to another mystery of marriage. And so if somebody says to you, okay, well, explain marriage to me. Well, you might say, well, I know that, let's see, there's a ring involved. Um... There's vows involved. There's usually a ceremony of some sort. Um, you wear really kind of stiff clothes and stuff, and it's kind of formal usually. Um, there's often a cake, I think. Right? So, okay, so here's all the components of it. And you go, okay, now does that describe marriage? Well, no, of course not. I mean, there's just so much more. There's so much more mystery to it than that, right? You can't just break it down into the different components of the thing. It's, it is the whole. It is this incredible mystery. So, in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the, the church as the bride of Christ, right? And Paul says, husbands, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Interesting. He says that Jesus died for the church. And Paul goes on in this comparison, and he says, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Kind of interesting. He's, he's teaching about marriage, but he's really teaching about Christ and the church. And he's saying they're both a mystery, and they're both, they, they can't just sort of be summarized by the sum of the parts, and if you pull everything apart into the different segments and slice it apart, you go, okay, well, this is what it is. No, it's, it's way more of a mystery than this. And he's saying that the, the church is the bride of Christ. And when you think about that, and how Jesus gave his life for her, 
And then you think sometimes about, okay, how do we speak about the church? How do we treat the church? How do we hold the church? In what kind of regard? And I think it should cause us to be humbled and maybe even to repent of sometimes our view of the church, our low view of the church when Jesus gave his life for her. And then that text that Spencer read earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul, again, is speaking about the mystery of the church. And he says, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Again, isn't that an amazing picture of the church? I mean, it's that God would use the church to proclaim this gospel and the wisdom and beauty of God in all its diversity, in all of God's manifold witness, as it talks about in some trans- translations. You know what a manifold is? It's something that comes off in many ports. Just think of your exhaust manifold, you mechanics. Okay? God's manifold witness that goes out in all these different directions, Right? The beauty of the mystery of God is found in the church. And there's something that happens in the heavenly realms. When the church gathers, when the church is healthy, when the church is functioning as the church should, it's like the enemy shakes. Because the church cannot be defeated. And so there is something that happens in the heavenlies, is what Paul is saying, as the church does its thing. Maureen last week talked about testimony and the power of testimony and how in Revelation it talks about how when you give your testimony, it does something in the heavenlies. There is a spiritual reality to that, which is so true. And Paul is saying here in Ephesians that the same is true about the corporate body. When the church is the church, there is something that is so powerful that is happening in the spiritual realm that changes everything. Which is why I think Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 this prayer of unity for the church. Right? Because he's praying to God and he says, Heavenly Father, he says, would they be one as you and I are one? And would they have the kind of unity that you and I have? That's a pretty intimate unity. Father and Son. So that the world will know. So that the world will know. One of the greatest testimonies the church can have is this unity of Spirit, this unity of love, this unity of mission and vision, this unity of being on track together, this this unity that has a power and declares things in the heavenly realms. Erwin McManus, many of you know, is a a pastor and a speaker and an author, and one of the best books I actually think that he ever wrote, and one of the best books on the church, I think it was the first book that he wrote, is called The Unstoppable Force. And it's a book about the church. And he speaks in this book about when the church is unified and when it is filled with the power of the Spirit and it was filled with this common vision and when it is willing to give of itself to the outward needs of the world around us and not be self-centered on itself, it is an unstoppable force. And he has a quote in there that has always kind of haunted me. He says, the only storm that can sink a church is from within. He says, that is the only storm that can sink a church. But it is when the church is unified, when the church sees its place in the world and the power that it has, that it it just changes everything. 
And then lastly, God, the church is God's instrument for his mission. Church is God's instrument for his mission. Sometimes we think that, you know, well, each church has a mission. I mean, you have a mission statement and so on. So the local church has a mission. But you might, as many authors have pushed us on, which I think is appropriate, you might say, no, it's the other way around, that God's mission actually has a church. And you go right back to Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham is given this call of God to bring the blessings of God to the nations and the families of the earth. And how this mission of God is given right there that is established through the people of Israel. And then we see in Romans chapter 11 that we who are not Jewish, we who are not part of that nation of Israel are grafted in. We are joined into this mission of God. We are invited into this incredible blessing and this incredible promise to bring the blessing of God to the nations of the earth. And the church is this instrument of God's mission. And the book of Acts is this incredible testimony to the momentum of the church and the church being established and being unstoppable as the power of God is at work in there. Matthew 28 and in Acts 1, we again see these well-known texts where the mission of the church is given. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in Acts 1, the beginning of this text of the church and the Spirit of God working within the church says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. I heard just recently this quote that has just stuck with me and impacted me about this mission of God and the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And these, these four things that are so essential to understand it that we see in the book of Acts that we see throughout Scripture. I think it can help us again understand the role and the purpose of the church. And first of all, that when it comes to this gospel message of Jesus, this, this blessing of God to the nations of the earth, that it is embodied in Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of it. That the Spirit is the power behind it. That the church is the instrument. And that the specific culture that you're in is the context. This is the mission of God that he has given the church. As I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, there really is only the local church. I mean, we talk about the global church and the universal church, and, and that makes sense, and I get that, but we can't really know intimately those people, and we don't really engage regularly with those people, even on the other side of this city in a different church, let alone people across the world, right? And so the local church matters so much, which is why for me, I just have a passion for the local church because this is the expression of it. This is where Jesus is the embodiment of this gospel message. The, Spirit's power, the Spirit is the power for this message. The church is the instrument of God's mission. And the culture that we're in, the city that we're in, the city of Saskatoon, that is our context. That's where this church needs to express the beauty and the mystery and the wonder of God. And so the local church so, so matters. But we also have to realize that the church is functioning when it is not about self-preservation. And I think we so quickly and so easily move to self-preservation. Whether it's structures, pews, preferences, all these things, they come and go. 
They have for centuries. The different structures and and expressions of the church have changed radically all the time. And the church is constantly called, just as we are individually, but the church corporately is constantly called to die to self. Investing in others. Not holding on to what was, but, but doing, being about the mission of God in that particular context. And so often we think of a missionary mindset and exegeting a culture when we send missionaries overseas. But every one of us has a responsibility to understand more deeply this culture. Not the church culture, the culture that is outside of the church culture in this city that we do not understand fully enough. That we need to engage in and exegete and understand and bring the message of God to that culture that is so in need of that. But it means self-sacrifice, which is what the church is always called to do. I think nature's inspiring example is spawning salmon. And if you've ever seen a salmon run, which I have in BC, it's, it's spectacular. It's unbelievable. And you see these salmons who are so determined and so persistent and swimming upstream, up rivers, up current, always pushing against, pushing against. And their sole purpose is spawning a new generation even at the cost of their own life. In fact, they are just willing to give it all to die so that this new generation can emerge and this new generation can come to life. And that's the call of the church. You know, one of our, one of our core values is this value of relevance. And what that means, again, is it means pertaining to matters at hand. It means having a faith that is relevant a faith that pertains to matters at hand in every one of your contexts and situations that you face week to week, day to day, that your faith matters. And it's important to ask, is is the church relevant? Well, the church is relevant if, if it is filled with people who have a relevant faith where it changes things, where it impacts people. I want to read you a a quote that that Kevin gave as he's been leading this Alpha Initiative, and many of you have been a part of that. And he shared this in different settings, but it was a comment as he asked for some feedback from people who've been part of this Alpha. And this came from a guest at the Sunday Evening Alpha. And this person said this, Alpha is the most non-judgmental place I've ever been. I've never been anywhere that I felt this comfortable. It's not how most people are. I wish the whole world was like an Alpha group. Isn't that a beautiful story of the church being the church? I shared with you at the very beginning of this series and the very first Sunday in September that we started talking about these big questions, about my experience at the end of August of of going on this West Coast Trail hike with a group of people, many from this church, and how we told our life stories night after night, and how our group got larger, and we had these three young adults, one from northern Quebec and two girls from Germany who joined our group for the whole week and were fascinated, no faith background whatsoever, and they were fascinated by these stories, and as people in our group just shared their life story and also their faith story, and the impact of that week. And I shared with you on that very first Sunday how powerful that was for me to hear even the one girl, Verena, who said at the end of that week, as she summarized the week, she said, I am so encouraged that there are people like you out there, meaning people whose faith is relevant, that makes a difference in your life, and I can see the evidence of it. And if we have a relevant faith that pertains to all the matters at hand in our life, the the church becomes an unstoppable force of discipleship, of God's instrument in his mission in the world. And I pray that we would be that kind of church to God's glory. Would you stand with me as I want to just conclude in prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for your love for us. 
I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given your life for the church, the bride of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a higher view of the local church. That this is not plan B or C, this is plan A, of your instrument for your mission, Lord. And God, may we humble ourselves and may we be attentive to your Spirit's power and leading in our lives so that we would be people of a relevant faith, a faith that makes a difference in every day of our lives and the decisions that we make of how we give of our time and our money and our resources and our expertise and how we engage in the world and understand the cultural context that we're in. Lord, would we be that kind of church, I pray, to your glory and for your kingdom's sake, Lord. Would you awaken us as a church to this mission that you have given us? And may we be self-sacrificing. May we be willing to lay down our lives that a new generation of believers would come up and continue on this gospel message. So Lord, I pray your blessing upon this church. I thank you for. I thank you for our congregation at Broadway that is meeting right now. May your blessing be upon that congregation. Lord, as we discern and as we look forward to a, a north side congregation, God, we pray that you would be doing a unique work already in the hearts of people that you are calling to be a part of that. And God, may we be your church together with all the others here in this city that make a difference for the kingdom of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.